Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Western Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs. And if you're listening to this, we, Dan and I, just got back from our Arizona, New Mexico shed hunt with Stephen Walker. Um, But as I'm recording this, we are just getting ready to go. It's April 5th today. We're heading out on April 10th, so we're just finalizing details. And man, are we excited Dan is going to bring his podcasting board, so we're going to try to actually record a couple podcasts while we're driving out there. Um, I'll probably be in the backseat running the board, and Dan will be driving, and the camera guy, and we'll all have a headset, so we'll actually be able to hear everyone talk pretty well, and it'll just be kind of a fun way to kind of record a a pre-hunt podcast with all the excitement of heading out west and trying to find some elk sheds, but... In addition to that, I'm also very excited tonight because tonight is the first episode that I know of where we're, we're really planned an episode based on one of your comments. Somebody wrote in on one of our social media posts and said, great episode. I love that person. Follow their content. Would love to see more archery antelope content. And so that's what we have for today is an episode all about archery antelope. So super excited. I happen to have a buddy from high school that's been doing archery antelope every year for a long time. And so I uh, just see now that he popped in the lobby. So without further ado, we're going to fire this episode of the Western Rookie off and talk all about antelope. You're listening to the Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've already seen 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another episode of Stern Rookie Podcast. Like I said in the intro, this episode is all about archery antelope due to um, some of you guys' listener requests. Somebody sent in a request to get more archery antelope uh, content and by gosh, I'm lucky enough to have a good high school buddy, Logan Doyle, that has been doing archery antelope. You've been doing it like at least half your life, haven't you? Yeah, really. I mean, it's coming up on, I think I've went out there for about 14 years, 13, 14 years. So yeah, I mean, I guess we're getting older, but yeah, that's about half, that's about half my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys have been, you and your dad, right? Typically. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah I remember no, been, seeing, yeah. Uh, seeing you guys posting antelope. Um, like in your height, like in high school, and it's like archery antelope. What? Like you, I didn't like back then. Like hunting the West wasn't even really on my radar yet. And I'm like you're going all the way out there to shoot an antelope with your bow. Like that seems hard. <laughs> it's uh, it is definitely a challenge. But I mean, the best thing about it is uh, a 
lot of states open up. I think South Dakota is the third Saturday in August, so that it varies in South Dakota, but um, in Montana, where we usually go, it's August 15th. So, I mean, you get a jump on season because depending, I mean, where we grew up in Minnesota, deer season doesn't open till the middle of the second half of September. Um, South Dakota, where I live now, opens September 1st, but I mean, you get an extra couple weeks of hunting if you uh, pick up uh, archer antelope. So it's just a great, great way and uh, just a great kickoff to most uh, art, most of my seasons nowadays. So yeah, I heard I read your articles that you sent about some of the write ups you've done, and and you talk about you know being able to just like get back in the groove, fire an arrow, draw some blood, and I'm like, yeah, that does that does uh, sound good because what we do, we've been doing archery elk almost every year for the last seven years, but when you're doing archery elk, we're always heading out like that 15th week of September. And so it's like the first animal that I might draw blood on is going to be an elk, yep. like the biggest yep. one. And it's like, God, that's yep. not a great way to start. And like you no. said, our, our, like our deer season doesn't open until that week. And so I don't even get to hunt until I get back. And it'd be like really nice to smack a couple does and just get back in the groove before I got a bull bugling at 30 yards. Oh Yeah. Exactly. And it's a uh, sure heck of a lot easier to pack out if you uh, shoot an antelope than an elk. I can promise you that. So, yeah. Well, I've only shot one and I shot it with my rifle. I got a rifle doe tag when I was a North Dakota resident and I packed that whole thing out in one trip. Yeah. Like easy yeah. peasy. Yeah. Um, so you just throw that sucker over the shoulder after you got it and you're good to go. Well, I even quartered it because I just don't want to like deal with the carcass at the truck because I was, you know, truck camping and, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it was just, I've, I mean, it got a little heavy. I don't know what a doe antelope quarters out at, but I mean, I could tell I had weight there, right, in my yeah. pack, but it was like, I've never even come close to packing out a whole elk in one trip. <laughs> yeah, no, no, so, not a chance. Awesome, awesome. So you guys said, just before we started the talk, though, said you guys got pounded with snow again out in South Dakota, and I'm sure where you guys antelope hunt is getting a lot of snow as well. Yeah, so um, I went the last three years out in South Dakota because uh, drawing tags, I mean, kind of everywhere out west right now is a little bit harder. So we haven't been able to get uh, Montana archery antelope in the unit we've gone for a while. So gone out just more public land out in western South Dakota. Um, so anywhere, once you cross the river, the Missouri River in South Dakota, you start seeing antelope or whatnot. But we just kind of head close, go west, and hunt a couple counties that uh, – border um up against uh that wyoming over there so but it's just it's just fun to get out there and but yeah it's um they got they got pounded with snow and uh luckily i I live in sioux falls right now so luckily it missed us but yeah that whole rapid city area they got i heard the southern hills got 30 inches dumped on in hot springs this weekend um and yeah up in aberdeen and northeast part of the state got another foot and a half. So I'm lucky that I'm in the Southeast corner right now. And we got missed out on those last couple storms, but won't be looking for any antlers anytime soon. So I know that for, for this spring, that kind of put a pause on all plans there. Yeah. Um, I have buddies that were going to go out to Eastern Wyoming and do some shed hunting this week. And then obviously that fell through and me and the, the co-host of this show, Dan Matthews, he's not here tonight, but um, we are leaving in five days six days to go out to durango colorado meet up with a buddy and then we're shed hunting new mexico for two days and then arizona for two days i just uh put in for my first ever um new mexico elk tag and it's late muzzleloader so 
late uh, October. So we'll see if I'm one of the lucky 2% draw statistic odds um, in that or whatever. But that's one I've never, uh, never, never went after any elk yet. So it's funny because, I mean, out in, out in Western South Dakota, when we're in, not so much antelope hunting, because it's a little bit different terrain when you're hunting that. But when I'm going after some mule deer hunting, now that that opens uh, September 1st, um, I've, uh, I've been, I spotted a pretty good uh, mule deer buck and was kind of going down a gully and trying to get to him in close distance fast when he went out of sight. And I mean, I just about stepped on a decent five by five, I mean, he wasn't masked by any means, but let me tell you, when you almost step on a freaking bull elk, that uh, gets your heart going. It was kind of cool. I had the wind, so he busted out to about 60 yards, looked at me, didn't know what the heck I was. And uh, so he kind of came back to about 30 yards to see what I was better off. And so it was kind of cool to take some videos of that. And when you're trying to archery mule deer, and it's like, oh, this elk thing isn't too hard. Trying yeah. to archery elk hunt. So <laughs> probably won't say anything in my first elk hunt. But yeah, when you're trying to go after another species, uh, it's always a little bit easier for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that always happens to me. The opposite, usually trying to chase down elk and you look over and there's like a 150, 160 mule deer just bedded <laughs> looking at you from the other rig. Yep. It's um, like they know they're safe. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. Um, but that brings up a good topic. Maybe we should we should derail for a quick hot second since it is application season. Well, t- tail end of application season. But um, so you mentioned you put in for New Mexico elk for the first time, and you, and you said two percent odds. And so sounds like yep. you're using New Mexico as a swing for the fences state. Yes. So I've had uh, one of my best best friends uh, growing up. Um, he's went down there a couple times. I think he shot a 340 on the youth season on um, back when he was like 12, 13 years old. His first time ever going down there. Um, his dad shot a couple low 300s bulls as well. So nothing, nothing massive, um, but at least they have some experience there. So um, and his dad's always looking for hunts to go on to help out so he said if i draw he'd come along and kind of show me the rope so i said well that's easy if i get free help so um yeah just kind of going swinging for the fences so just kind of learning the point systems i mean th- i think i've talked to you about that i got a couple points in wyoming um and then obviously i've been putting i think i got about five points in south dakota but really for archery or rifle it takes about 15 or so to get a get a tag um to have really good odds, I should say, I'd get in a tag. Because you can draw it with less in South Dakota. But it takes a long, long while here. So just trying to save up for Wyoming. And then, yeah, kind of swinging for the fences in uh, New Mexico. So we'll see how lucky I am in a couple of weeks, right? I think that's uh, – New Mexico comes out in middle of April, I think. So that should uh, – yeah, kind of – kind of checking emails now coming up see if i see if i got lucky checking the credit card statement see if anything yeah, exactly hits. see yeah. if i get refunded or if it stays out there yeah um i like how you casually mentioned like oh, a little little 300s 340 yeah. nothing too massive but it, i mean this is the western rookie podcast not the western hall of fame podcast so i uh i'll say um i got a good buddy i met in college uh he works out in washington um kind of a duck farm so i mean they do a lot of they've just a farm in terms of flooding cornfields or whatever. So, I mean, setting up really good duck hunts out there, but he sent me a snap the probably about three weeks ago and he had the biggest grin on his face. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, grant granted, they don't, they can't, they don't hunt the farm for any big game animals. So, I mean, the mule deers are just stupid big and don't give two, two hoots about you. I mean, he sends pictures all the time and videos of him walking up pretty close to, pretty big mule deer and finding sheds or whatever. So I was expecting him to flip the 
uh, video around and show me it's some huge, massive uh, mule deer shed, but he flips the camera around. It's a deadhead elk. It was a Rocky Mountain elk, gross 392. And so it was all time, like top 10 um, out in Washington. I just was looking up. I'm like, dude, that thing is massive. And so, yeah, just stumbled upon. He says, we don't get elk through the farm once in a blue moon. Um, but just was out checking um, pumps and stuff and just stumbled upon this absolutely behemoth of a deadhead. Um, so, yeah, he was going to clean that up. But, I mean, it was it was, it was massive. Wow, no kidding. I'd probably try to find a hide and mount it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he's just uh, – he's, he's, he's got it. He's got it made out there. He's one of the few – Two, two, three years ago in the uh, springtime, maybe it was fall, I don't even remember, get my days mixed up, but he sent a video. He was watching a field that had um, snow geese circle in and dump in just to watch, and uh, he saw a hawk come barreling out of the sky, pin a goose, and drop it all the way to the ground. So he's kind of looking at it, and he's like, gosh, I don't know what kind of, I thought he thought it was a blue goose right away, but it really wasn't, so he kind of drove up there with the truck just to look and see what it was. It was an emperor goose, which rarely ever make it out of Alaska. So he's one of the few confirmed cases of getting a, uh, called the, I don't know if it's the DNR out there or whatever, game fish parks, whatever, um, asked if he could keep it since it was so rare. He was worried that um, by calling him and being a good uh, citizen that they were going to confiscate it to put on display just because it's so rare. I mean, they don't really get them in Washington ever either. But they let him keep it, so he got that thing mounted too. So I mean, he's just between the deadhead and the emperor goose. I'm like, dude, you're one lucky son of a gun. So he's got stories to tell already. So yeah, I don't know if I'd want to use up my luck on finding a dead animal. I mean, I'm already I used up a lot of my luck to draw the once in a lifetime North Dakota tag as it is. And yes, so, you did. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I'm gonna lose use any more of it to find like a world record goose or. <laughs> Or anything like that. I got to save what little luck I have and invest yeah, it. Hopefully, exactly. I can try to actually harvest something. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so getting back to the elk, have you kind of have you have you kind of picked a game plan for what your like elk strategy is in terms of points and what states to kind of try for, what states you're sleeping on and building points? Yeah, I mean, New Mexico. It's just kind of funky that the New Mexico. You know, it's like you don't really get a preference points so, i mean south dakota it's not guaranteed it's not a true point system where the most always gets it but south dakota is kind of that hybrid and the more points you have the better chance you have but that's what kind of is intriguing about new mexico is that i mean it could be your first time applying or you could be really unlucky and apply 30 straight years and never get a tag you know so the kind of the what's kind of, that's what kind of drew me to it um in sense that if you it's kind of good too because I mean, some years you have a kid or something and you don't have much vacation time. It's like, all right, I'm not putting in this year. And then you're not missing out on anything if you don't, because I mean, next year you have just as good of a chance um, as the year before. So in terms of not, not having any points to help you. So that's what kind of drew me to New Mexico is that haven't been applying or building up points, but I mean, I guess and statistically I got just as good a chance as a guy that's really been unlucky and hasn't drawn for 20 years, you know? So um haven't done a whole lot of homework, um, depending on another two weeks if I draw or not. Um, but again, I just was well, the only reason I even applied for that unit is just because uh, my buddy and his dad have shot four elk over in that unit for last uh, over the last 12, 14 years that they've drawn um, tags. I think they've had four tags, two each have had a tag twice, and there's three three filled tags of it. So um, and they got an uncle who. 
um, lives down there that uh, is kind of in the area more and is a really big elk hunter. So I should have looked it up, but he has a, I'm going to, I'll get back to it. I'm going to send my buddy a text about his uncle owned a uh, nutrition company, a outdoor nutrition company. Um, he's now since sold it, but that's kind of, he's kind of well known, I guess. About uh, the Harbertson brothers, Mountain Ops? No, because that I'll, was an I'll outdoor nutrition that. company that recently sold. His he sold it like five ten years ago, but oh. he's, he met some pretty cool, um, pretty cool uh, people because of it. So, okay, cool. Yeah, it sounds but, like great buddies to have. If they're like, hey, we've hunted this unit a lot. We got some intel. We've shot some bulls here. You know, if you apply and get drawn, we'll help you out. It's like. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it pays to know people, I guess, and have good friends that uh, will help each other out like that. So, yeah, of course it does. I mean, I've through the podcast, I've already met a ton of great people that we've had on the show, and and now one of us, one of them said, "Hey, come out and find some some antlers out in uh, Arizona and New Mexico." And so, wildness athlete is what it was called. So, oh, um, wilderness athlete or wildest athlete? Wilderness. Wilderness, wilderness athletes like yeah i've I've heard of wilderness yep. athletes so yep yeah that's, that's a pretty big company so yeah yeah that's a great friend to have in the book and so um speaking of points you said you you had to go to south dakota because it's the point system in montana has been a little tricky so for a resident is that an over-the-counter antelope tag then over-the-counter antelope tag, and uh, I guess now that this will be coming out in April, I, we just switched it. He actually was even an over-the-counter non-resident tag, one of the last ones, but um, we just, GFP, we had some meetings and whatnot, and finally we got that changed, um, and so it's not an over-the-counter for non-residents. So we were kind of getting flooded in terms of the, especially the northwest part of South Dakota was getting really flooded because people wouldn't draw any other state and would all come to South Dakota. Mm. Um, so they changed that starting this year to, I forget how many non-resident antelope archery tags there are, but thankfully for residents, it's still over the counter um, antelope tag. So um, yeah, so that's kind of been my backup, but the last two years that me and my dad haven't drawn in uh, Montana we did get over the counter. Um, he's a non-resident, lives in Minnesota still, um, but he was able to get uh, a non-resident over the counter um, archery antelope tag as well. So we're able to still kind of keep the street going in terms of at least getting out there and chasing. So, gosh, I think I was 12 the first year I went, and I'm 27 now, so 15 years. My dad's been chasing um, every single year, so I've had to take a couple of years off because of basketball and college and whatnot, and. But I mean, he's been going for 15 straight years, so it's 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 addicting once you start. Um, and like I said, it's just fun to get out and kind of start the year off. I mean, you just because it's pretty much unless you have a few few other states or a few other seasons, it's going to be your first one. Um, instead of August 15th, it's going to be your first season that you're going to be able to draw blood and um, hopefully launch an arrow. Yeah. Uh, so would you say that that that's your family's like thing? Like, so my family, we've been going to Canada fishing for for 40 years straight. I think yep. we took one year off for COVID because we couldn't get in. Um, but that's like our family's like big trip. Like that trip happens no matter what. And then lately we've been doing the archery elk, but that kind of bounces between like rifle, archery. Some people are in, some people are out. But would you say that like, the antelope thing is like your family's like outdoor vacation? I, w- I would say so. That that definitely my my dad and I. Um, so 
yeah, I'd say 50, he's going on 15. I think I've got, tagged along for 13 of them. So I just said two two instances I couldn't get away. Um, but it is. It's just it's fun, and I mean, it's all. I mean, obviously, harvesting animal is is awesome every single time, and everyone's special. But just being able to kind of get out for five five days with your dad. I mean, especially now we're older, moved away, live elsewhere. I mean, just getting that quality time of just hunting memories with your dad, buddies and other people you meet at camp and whatnot, or at the hotel motel you're staying at. I mean, it's just getting five days alone with your dad um, who kind of, I don't know how your story is, but I'm sure you're similar. I mean, my dad, uh, I started kind of, I'd say I kind of joked that he brainwashed me because I was three years old. Um, first time he took me out pheasant hunting, and he'd get a pocket full of candy. And uh, once I started getting tired and falling behind, he's like, if you catch up to me, I'll give you a sucker. So just bribing me with sugar and whatnot. So, I mean, I've been hunting with my dad since I was three years old. So, I mean, that's uh, something that we definitely have um, in common. That's that's our, yeah, what we love to do. Is that, does, does he still do that? If you, if you got my antelope, I'll give you a sucker. <laughs> I'd like to say that I've kind of passed him and I hope I'm in better shape than him now. And I got to bribe him to stay up, uh, keep up with me. But uh, some days are better than others, I guess. So he had to. <laughs> this past fall, I drew a, uh, um, my dad and his best friend from high school, they drew uh, whitetail tags out in Western South Dakota, kind of where I've been going, where we go antelope hunting and whatnot. Um, and uh, I drew a rifle mule deer tag. So it's my first rifle tag. I've been going out there for, three years for archery um mule deer me and my two really good buddies i met in college we always go over labor day so get opening so chasing velvet mule deer is what we do out there um but finally was able to get a right familiar tag which takes a couple of years and depending on what uh, county you go on or whatnot but shot mine four and a half miles from the truck um <laughs> and so and it had just snowed so it was about six inches of snow on the ground too i mean granted this isn't i'm not in the Montana Wyoming back roads where I'm going up and down uh, mountains by any means, they're just big Hills. But when you're trying to pack out a full meal there in one, one go, and it was a pretty big one. He was, he was uh, upper one forties. So that was my biggest meal there to date. So I um, was gonna, did a sh- doing a shoulder mount on him too. So, um, but yeah, he had to come save my butt. I was about two and a half miles back towards the truck and I was just dying. So he had to hike in and help, uh, uh switch take a pack of meat out with me so i did i was i'm so out of shape i thought being a college athlete you know oh, i'm in such good shape blah, blah, but then yeah you're packing a whole deer out especially mule deer i mean whitetails are one thing but you shoot a mature mule deer buck there's a lot of meat on those suckers yeah so. especially when you save the hide and the yeah. antlers and then it's snowing I, so the hides yeah. full of water and yeah it was uh so yeah he had to he had to come save me so he uh He's, yeah, I guess he had to bribe me to get me those last two two miles to go because I was hurting. So, yeah, that's that's one good thing about hunting antelope. You never have that problem. Typically, exactly. from what I can tell, yeah. you either drive the side by side right up to them, or it's you know a short stone's throw away from an oil road or something. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. So, is your dad from the article I read? I don't remember exactly when that article was published, but at the time it was published on your website, Can't Hunt Enough, your dad was batting a thousand. He was. He's still batting a thousand in Montana. Um, you had to so start putting, you had to start so putting conditions on it. Yeah. My dad is thirteen for thirteen in uh, Montana, but uh, it's been a tough couple of years uh, in South Dakota. So, 
two years ago, we just had a severe, severe, I mean, severe drought. Um, and so numbers were down, but also wasn't so much numbers were down as in there just wasn't any cover. I mean, it was everything was dead and about an inch high, you know, just nothing grew. Um, so that added more wrinkles to it. And this past year we went out and uh, really wanted to get him one just because I kind of want to get his streak going. And plus, obviously, a non-resident tag is a little more expensive than the 30 bucks I had to spend to uh, get an antelope tag. So, um, and it was, we had a lot of good chances, really, really a couple of really good stocks. Um, he sat over water one day in a blind and uh, had about 100 cows come in. Um, but uh, antelope kind of hung up. Uh, Antelope and cows don't really get along. More, cows couldn't give uh, give a hoot about the antelope, I guess. But antelope are kind of weary to come into water when cows are there. Um, but yeah, we got we got a couple couple close stocks, and uh, yeah, he had some antelope coming in. But hundred cows decided to come into water, and when it's ninety degrees out and you're at the only water within a mile, the cows don't just drink and meander off. They kind of just throw a pool party. So um, that's that's how it goes sometimes, I guess, though. Yeah, that sounds pretty rough. But thirteen yeah. for thirteen on anything is a is a that's a impressive record. I mean, I'm not even thirteen for thirteen on whitetails on our own farm in Minnesota, and we have a, a beautiful yeah. whitetail farm. So it's that's an impressive streak. And it's uh, I mean, antelope hunting you kind of two main ways to hunt them in archery. So usually. In, August 15th out in Montana or any Western state, it's hotter than the hubs of hell usually. Um, so your best bet is to be hunting over a, hunting in a ground blind over a watering hole. Um, that's your best bet. Um, so done in a couple of ways. I mean, we have, we go with Blue Rock Outfitters out in uh, Montana is who we went with. Um, but when we're doing it ourselves in terms of the last couple of years in Mon- uh, South Dakota, um, just means you're kind of going on Onyx. And especially the now that I've been a couple of years, mule deer hunting and whatnot too um you kind of kind of know some good watering holes that you think oh this might be worth checking you know drop your drop your pins come back so really if you don't have much time to scout all you're doing is going from water hole to water hole kind of looking around the rim and seeing i mean if you have hoof prints or whatnot and the more hoof prints usually the better in terms of that they're using it so um that's kind of the first way you can hunt them is over water um and the second way is just spotting stock so and i'd say I mean, granted, I haven't hunted elk and there's some other critters I haven't hunted as well, but by far the hardest spot and stock animal I would say would be antelope hands down. So for one, the they love to hang out in sage flats, and so you don't got a whole lot of cover usually. Everything's short. Um, antelope got, they say they got like 8 to 10 powered uh, vision. They can see 320 degrees. So, I mean... They can spot you a mile away, not exaggerating. So, I mean, they're just – their eyesight is unlike any other. So, I mean, it's – between terrain and their eyesight, it is so hard to get within a bow range of an antelope. But that's what makes it rewarding too is um, being able to – I said spot and sock antelope has got to be one of the hardest things to do in North America with a bow, I'd say. So, um, it's, it's, it's challenging and really frustrating at times, especially – especially when you add weather into it too and you're trying to spot and stock an antelope and it's 95 degrees out and it's so freaking hot and you left the water in the car and i mean it's just there's a lot of elements to it but it's it's so fun to just chase those suckers across the prairie yeah i bet i bet you don't forget the water in the car too many times in a row (laughs) that's a one-time mistake you figured that out real fast um sorry 
I think most people get the the ground blind tactic, right? You know, find a water hole, find some sign, put a ground blind up, sit there all day until the antelope comes in, and they're gonna go get water somewhere, right? I mean, it's the Sahara Desert out there, and they're made for it, but they still have to drink eventually. Yep. And um, and so I think most people understand that, but you do see I've seen lately, mostly like content creators, YouTube channels, like bigger names if you will are using like cell cams like they'll go put a cell cam at five different water holes and then sit at one of them but at least they're gathering that data on the other four like should i come back here next tomorrow or should i hit one of these other ones based on what i'm seeing um so i bet that could be one strategy someone if you have you know if you have some cell cams and you got five days like run around first morning and put some cell cams on some different spots that you think are perspective and then just start hunting and see if you have to pivot I would definitely say that would be a great way to go about it too, because I mean, if it's 90, 90 plus degrees, they're probably drinking every day. But I mean, we've had, sometimes you're sitting out. I mean, if it's, you hope it's not, I mean, really, really hope it's the hotter, the better when you're antelope hunting. I mean, it's long days sitting up blind though. When it gets light at 6 AM and doesn't get dark till 8 PM, antelope aren't like whitetail where evening and dusk are the best. I mean, morning and night are the best times, you know, that first hour, last hour. I mean, it does not matter. We've had antelope come water at seven in the morning, right when you get there. And we've had antelope water at seven 30 at night. So you got to sit there all day. And cause if you go eat lunch, that's when they're coming. I guarantee it. So it's, you say, Oh, just sitting in a blind and they're coming to water. It's, it's, it's when you're putting 14 hour days in the blind, I mean, you, you're, it's all, it's almost as mental as it is physical. Cause I mean, you're just th- looking at the same sage brushes, hoping every single time you kind of glance to the left, something catches your eye. You're like, Oh, is that one coming in or whatnot? So, I mean, it's, it's mentally draining too. When you're sitting there for 14 straight hours. And if you're on a ground blind day three or whatnot, I mean, you're putting in the time too. So it's uh, just cause you're over water and it's hot out. Doesn't don't think it's easy. I mean, it's not uh, for sure things by any means on that sense, but I think you're right. I mean, I putting out cameras would definitely be beneficial and trying to see, just trying to go to wherever they're going the most. I mean, cause they usually like to keep going to the same water hole unless they get spooked or something else changes their pattern. Yeah. And it's it kind of like that kind of touches on like a, I guess a topic that I've, I've always kind of like, it's rubbed me the wrong way when people think you have to do the most badass option on everything. It's like, you know, well, you're just sitting in a ground blind on water. Like you should spot and stock them. It's like, well, I'm out here to, bring an antelope home like i want to eat the antelope i want to like i'm 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 here to punch tags like and sometimes i want to do something that's a little bit more hard and challenging but it's like you you don't always have to do the the extreme option like sometimes you can just go have some type one fun too you don't always have to have type two fun especially if you're some someone who lives out east and you're only getting one crack at it you know i mean at least me i'm blessed enough to live in a state where i can go chase them every year if i want but it's like this is your one chance or you're only getting one trip planned because you got to travel a thousand miles. You know, it's like, yeah, I'd take your best chance and you might have every intention to go sit over water and then forecast is looking heck yeah. 90 degrees every single day. Week comes drops in the seventies. Well, guess what? Yeah. Your best option probably isn't going to be sitting on water. So, I mean, it's just, you never know until the days get there, what's going to be your best job, best option either. Right. I mean, if you could, if you could tell me that, Hey, you could sit, you know, I'm an elk hunter. 
And yep. that's typically running around with a bugle tube, trying to call them and spot and stock and <clears throat> every trick in the book. But if you told me like, Hey, if you go sit on this water hole and you give it four days, you'll shoot a bowl. I'm like, done. I'm going to go sit yeah. that water hole for four days straight. Like maybe not every year, but like there's sometimes you just want to, sometimes you just want to have fun and do it the easy way. And I don't think yes. there's anything wrong with that. I don't know when it became not cool to do the easy way and, and punch your tag and, and bring the animal home. But you see a lot of it these days and it, it, it bothers me. It's like, you don't yeah. have to, but, um, but yeah, so you get, do you have any tips and tricks to these for the, for the 14 day ground blind? Cause I mean, I've done, I don't think I've ever done a 14 hour day in a tree stand. I've done some, some sun up to sun down in the rut, but by then it's usually, you know, eight hour day or 10 hour day. Um, so you like what 90 degrees, 14 hours in a ground blind. I happen to know, for everyone listening, I happen to know Doyle's on the other side of six, six. Um, and so that's a big dude in a small box. Do you have any tips and secrets to, to staying comfortable in these ground blinds? I'd say you got to bring a ton of water or Gatorade or whatever the heck you want to drink because it's, it is. And I mean, I don't want to get too graphic in here, but I said, when you got eight, 10 power eyesight and that's what Deers, deer use their noses to bust you, and uh, antelope will always trust its eyes. So, I mean, and you do not want to go outside of that. Once you're in it, you're in it, and you don't want to come out unless you shoot something or it's dark again. So, I mean, I've uh, not to get too graphic, but I'm definitely peeing in bottles. Um, just to make sure that you're not uh, not leaving the blind at all. But I'd say that. And another thing is, usually when you're hunting antelope, you're in the middle of nowhere. Um, so which translates to zero cell reception. So I would say we bring, I try to stockpile North, uh, North American whitetail, any outdoor magazine you can find. Don't read anything for a couple months before August, collect <laughs> all the, all the summer issues of whatever you want to read or find interesting or bring a book because there is a lot of time with your thoughts and a lot of time for reading because the other good news is it's not like you're sitting in a tree stand in the Midwest in the middle of the trees and you don't see anything until it's 30 yards out. A lot of these spots when it's pancake flat and you can literally see a mile in each direction, you're not only going to, it's not going to be a, Oh, they're here. Oh, I missed them thing. I mean, you're going to be able to read a page of your magazine before they look get up, there <laughs> with your binos, glass the whole thing and go back. So, I mean, it's not, nothing's going to antelope do some of them walk in and some of them get to about a hundred yards kind of look in, stare you down for how feels like an hour, and then they can maybe run in that last 100 to 150 yards. But again, most of the time, depending on where your blind is, you're going to see that sucker take an hour to walk from 1,000 yards to 100 yards because another thing antelope don't like to do is walk very long in a straight line. They're, I don't know, it's just – I haven't done a lot of turkey hunting, but I feel like it's just, I mean, they wander everywhere. I mean, there's 100 yards to the right, 100 yards to the left. I mean, that's another thing why spotting stock's so hard because you can't find an antelope, look at them, see they're heading west. I'm like, oh, he's heading west. We just got to get in position a half, you know, three, four, 500 yards to the west of him and set up and wait for him to come by because there's a better chance than not he's not going to just head straight west for 500 yards. So, um, it's, uh, they're grazers. They go every which way. And, uh, it's very seldomly do they go straight for a long distance. So that sounds frustrating. <laughs> that does, very. sounds frustrating. And I've, I've done some ground blind hunting and we've, now we have elevated box blinds and, or even just ice fishing. You know, I have these little cheap tripod stools 
and I can't sit in them very long before I start to like cramp up and because I'm not as tall as you, but taller six, two, yep. and you know, you get this stool that's 13 inches off the ground and you know, you're basically in a squat the whole time, yeah. you know, your hips cramp up, you, you know, it just gets uncomfortable. So when you're doing like, Hey, we're going to be here for five days, 14 hours yep. a day. Are you guys like upgrading like your chair? You're bringing out like a higher quality chair and like, yes, I'd say we're definitely bringing a higher quality chair. Cause yeah, your butt's going to get sore. Do not go out with a five gallon pail and call her good. Oof. I'm going to just don't do it. I'm going to save you some pain now. Try to get, it's definitely swivel chair because I'm usually shooting from the chair or, I mean, granted, like you said, when it's only like 14 inches off the ground, my knees are so dang tall that I'm, I don't know if I'm really sitting or if I'm kneeling, but combination kind of both. Um, but make sure that thing, sucker's oiled too because, like I said, antelope trust their eyes more than anything but uh you do not want something to finally come within 40 yards after 12 hours and you kind of rotate a little bit and a squeak um comes out because they'll be gone so um but definitely you're going to want a padded chair with a backrest um i kind of alternate between i kind of got a tripod chair thing um and uh, i alternate between that and especially like i said i'm six eight so I'm looking out these windows, kind of having to squat down, hunch down a little bit. So I alternate between the chair and just sitting my butt on the ground just so my back is straight. So I'm seeing out the windows eye level. So it's uh yeah, it's just it's not easy. Even if if you think the ground blind option is probably the easier way if it's hot out, um, but it is definitely still not easy, comfy hunting um by any means. So I would say when we're out um hiking blinds in. Um, around South Dakota, we're just, yeah, hiking the pop-up ones in. But lucky the place we've gone out in Montana, they have that. I think the platforms are elevated by about six feet. Um, but that really makes a difference, too, in terms of just trying to be able to see as much as you can. Because um, it's, uh, like I said, most most places, most water holes you can see a ways. But there's nothing worse than, you, it, I'd rather take farther, a little bit farther shots away to be on top of a dam or a levee and have to take a little bit longer of a poke just so I can see because you do not want to be in a water hole just to make sure you're within 30 yards of all um, the whole water hole, but you're kind of in a bowl and you can't see anything because you do not want to be sitting in a bowl for 14 hours because it's going to be miserable because then you cannot read or do anything because they might be on you in 30 seconds. So oh, I would yeah. say as high as you can because it's definitely a huge advantage. Yeah, that does sound frustrating. Um so on the so that's the that's the water hole blind method, which yep. I, I would agree is is probably the most popular one that people go with. But if someone's listening to this and they're like, you know what, good on them, I don't want to sit the ground blind. Like I come out west to walk, I want to roam and do the spot and stock. And so when you're doing that, I know I read the one article where you, you use the hay bales to your advantage, which for most people doing a public land do-it-yourself option, you're probably not going to find hay bales on your on your WMA or whatever um, Forest Service BLM land, right? It's going to be the sage flat. So you can't really plan on just walking behind a hay bale. Um, so what what are you guys doing in a, besides that? Like if you don't have a hay field that's baled, um, what what have you found that like works better than others for doing the spot stock in the in the sage? Trying to find um, the thing about antelope and sage flats is that they're not hard to see. I mean, they got white butts, they got white on them. 
you're not going to have if you're in antelope country you're really not going to have a problem finding antelope um the problem is going to be uh trying to get close enough to shoot one um trying to probably just find solos or doubles sometimes i mean antelope ruts middle part the uh, middle part ish of september around montana wyoming south dakota and so usually if you're going out over opener um in terms of august 15th or earlier season before the rut um sometimes they're in bachelor groups i mean i had a we've we went on a stock where there was 15 different bucks all together which i'm going to say the le the less numbers just kind of like when you're stocking anything the better because um trying to do a stock when you got 12 does and a buck on you it's just it's so hard to get within distance of one let alone 12 um usually not all the time again in middle of august um there might be a herd buck with a herd of does or whatnot um and so they might be a little bigger not always because some some of the biggest bucks that we've seen are gone after my dad's harvested and i have too they come in alone um so it doesn't mean they're always going to be in groups or whatnot but i'd say Try to try to find a solo ant antelope or two or three to go after because it's going to be easier for that. Mm -hmm. um, I said it's it's tough to tough to go on stocks all the time too because like I said, this, if an antelope's great feeding west, you can't expect it that it's going to be west um, the whole time. Um, you just gotta more so go for land landmarks. Um, try to find valleys and gullies and whatnot. Um, I know a lot of people, it's kind of gotten more popular. I've seen more of it. Um, if you're hunting them more so in September, so September through the middle part, end of September, actually when they're kind of more so going through the rut, um, decoys um, really work. I've never hunted antelope over their rut before, but I hear it's a hell of a rush because, I mean, bucks get super aggressive and they come charging in. Um, we've hunted always around opener to end of uh about the 22nd 23rd of uh, august usually um but even so at that time the younger ones are getting all testosterone up and whatnot and we've we've had success in my, in south dakota this year there's a big herd buck he had about 15 does and fawns with him and there's this one little bit smaller buck that just want he just wanted some love and he would go up try to get as close as he could to the does heard buck would run them off and i mean it was literally it's like 90 degrees out and you're like how the hell are these guys running for literally we watched them for an hour straight um and so we actually got um my dad had had a shot but both of them came running by him at 30 yards and antelope can run 60 65 miles an hour um so i would shot on the run is not something you want to do there but another good thing you can do too is if they're herd bucks kind of running them off always he's always going to go back to his does so we've had success too if if uh, bucks run another buck off just hightail it between him and his does even if the does see and kind of they kind of run off he's gonna go right to where he last saw his does and so just trying to get between him and his does is is a good thing too and like i said my dad had a great opportunity they were just going about 60 miles an hour too fast um when they ran by when that buck ran back looking for his does so um but i'd say that's another another good strategy is just always trying to get between him and his does so I mean, you're not gonna antelope are, are vocal definitely not like elk by any means and we don't have any calls or whatnot but 
Um, it's kind of fun to see hear them uh, make a noise when they're running other bucks off and whatnot. And uh, I'd say another good strategy is try to get between him and his does because he's always going to come back, um, go back to his does. So that's yeah. another one of the strategy. Antelope are, I'd say, some of the most curious critters you're going to find. Um, wasn't a successful one, but I've also – we had one that got to around 50 yards – um, we're kind of busted, kind of we're creeping over a hill, never skyline yourself because they literally see you from a mile away. So that's the number one no-no of not to do. But we had, uh, me and my dad were on a stock with our guide. This is when I was first couple of years. So I was 12, 13 years old, got busted. Uh, our guide took his sock off, put it on top of my quiver of arrows and just slowly waved it back and forth. And I mean, antelope are so freaking curious that buck busted us ran out to two 300 yards and he came walking back all the way to 50 yards and now i would have easily i mean it would have been a dead antelope and my confidence and how much better i've gotten as a bow hunter but as a 12 13 year old kid i was not about to attempt a 50 yard shot but it's i mean they're so inquisitive and that buck didn't know what the heck that white thing was waving but he sure as hell was coming closer to find out um so i'd say just because you think a stock is busted um just try something crazy like that. Like literally put a white sock or anything on a arrow, let it wave. Um, one of my dad, one of my dad's spot and stock kills. Um, they were in, they were in a sage flat. Um, not really any sages, pretty much just almost looked like it was an old, almost alfalfa field. Um, but pretty much just flat ground, not more than shin high grass, ankle high grass. Um, there's about three or four bucks that were kind of chasing does around this flat. Um, they were kind of used the hill, got within a couple hundred yards, um, probably about 200, 250 yards. I'm sitting in the truck watching the whole thing from like a half mile away. Um, and the big buck saw them scurried off with the two other bucks in the does. And there's this one, uh, one smaller buck, two, two and a half year old uh, buck probably had his head down when all this action was kind of happened, grazing, stuck his head up. They were kind of had already had run over the hill. My dad's thinking, well, this sucks. It's all over and whatnot. Um, this littler buck was kind of watching them. But, I mean, all they did is my dad literally got up. The guide was right in front of them, and they literally just walked straight at this buck. Every single every single time the buck put his head down or was grazing or kind of walking, they literally just beelined it in a straight line right towards Adam. As soon as the buck lifted his head and looked at him, they stopped, and they did kept doing this. So antelope funny thing about them their eyes they can see 320 degrees so their eyes are almost completely at the side of their head yeah and so they can literally see their you know if it's all they almost want to stare at you sideways and they're getting a better angle from you because when they look at you head on their eyes are so far to their sides of their head they have a hard time with depth perception right to see exactly what so if something's just, if an animal's just staring at you straight ahead i mean worrisome but might not know what it is it's really what's really concerning is when they look at you straight ahead and then they give you a look at your left and they look at your right that's what they're trying to distance see how far judge how far yeah. away you are so this buck will put his head down whatever look at him straight on they'd stop he'd go back kind of walking grazing they'd go out he literally they closed that from 250 yards my dad shot that antelope at 30 yards oh and when gosh. i'm looking at the binos from a half mile away i'm like this they is, gotta you know, be close enough. Shoot, what are they doing? But they literally, they were walking in a field that was couldn't bend a couple inches over ankle high, 
And it's just one single antelope and my dad and the guide. And they literally straight lined right at them. And every single time they stared at them, they stopped. But two, 300 yards away, all the way to 30 yards, my dad my dad shot that antelope. So With no decoy. No decoy, nothing. Wow. Just single file line. He was right behind. Um, our guide had his uh, range. range finder up. Yeah. And just that's all. That's what it was. So I'm telling you, that's the one thing about antelope. Just – yeah, they're going to run when they finally get busted mainly. And like I said, when they run 60 miles an hour, you might want to try to find them in the next county. But don't be afraid to throw one last-ditch effort at them about waving a sock. If you have a decoy, pop that up or literally just walk straight at them because they sometimes do not – they can't judge depth perception very bad when they're staring right at you because their eyes are so far in the side of their head. Um, so that's kind of a – it's different because I mean, you do that with a whitetail. Yeah. Throw, that sucker would have been gotten not a chance of staying not, around. Not a chance. Let you go from 250 yards to 30 in a, There's in something a field wrong. with ankle high grass. So yeah. there'd be something um, wrong with that, that whitetail. Yeah, exactly. So, but it's they're they're just curious critters, I would say, would be one of the best ways to, to, uh, yeah, explain antelope to a person. Yeah, so two things that I want to ask about this antelope, because I've never done the archery. I've done rifle, but rifle in North Dakota antelope isn't the true testament of antelope hunting by any means. Um, And so rattlesnakes and cactuses. How do do those two spicy critters play into this whole antelope hunting scenario? Probably more so Wyoming, Montana, but just in general. Um, I have more than one time sat right on a cactus. And I mean, I haven't been picking on my butt. <laughs> um, very uncomfortable trying to do stocks. I mean, it, it's so dry, especially when you're going out there in August. I mean, everything's, everything's so damn dry, sharp, even the, even not even just a cactus, but the grass is so damn sharp trying to belly crawl through it. It's tough. Um, but yeah, it, cactus is going to be around and I've had many a times you're just holding in the pain. Um, that you accidentally place your pulmonary hand wrong or whatnot. Cause um, yeah, that's, it's definitely an out, definitely out there. And uh, it, I've sat on a couple, got a couple in the palms and you're just cursing up a storm under your breath because you're getting actually close to an antelope and you got to keep it quiet. But one thing about me, I absolutely hate snakes. I even a garden doesn't matter if it's a gardener. I am the biggest baby when it comes to snakes. I don't deal with snakes. Well, um, so their rattlesnakes are definitely out there. So thankfully, knock on wood, I haven't had any um, run-ins in South Dakota with any yet, but definitely other guys that have been hunting um, the walk-ins with me have. Um, in South Dakota, a couple of quick stories. We were on a hike, um, spot and stocking one. It was literally 54 degrees like on August 16th. So definitely not sitting – I would recommend not sitting over water in 54-degree weather. Um, but – we were going through this belly crawling, um, me and my dad, and I look over and there is, I didn't know at the time, but there is a, I, I, it was over five feet, I swear to God, five foot long. At the time, I thought it was a rattlesnake. Thankfully, it was just a bull snake. But I literally, when you're belly crawling and you look to your right and 18 inches from your face is this biggest snake you've ever seen and you're deathly afraid of snakes. I shit my pants. Yeah. And I ruined, ruined that stock. I literally couldn't, I just yelled. I mean, I like, like a little girl yell cause I was so scared. Um, but thankfully it was just a bull snake, but, and it was so damn lethargic cause it was 54 degrees out, um, that it couldn't even really slither away. But 
we've had uh, two instances where we're kind of climbing up over a hill on a rock pile and uh, you hear it, um, the rattle. And uh, I said, I am the biggest baby when it comes to snakes. And that's the one thing you got, you got to, yeah. They're, thankfully they're just prairie rattlers. So they're allegedly not that venomous. Allegedly. Um, I, <laughs> it's, uh, they're out there and yeah, in the middle of August too, they're uh, out in full force too. So it's uh that's the one good thing about uh, uh, hunting hunting deer in November out there is that you don't really have to worry about them near as much. But, yeah, we've had a couple. Um, one of the times we actually saw it coiled up out in Montana. Another time we just heard it and turned back and walked away. But it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, that's the, that's the one downside about uh, hunting antelope in uh, August, early September, is that uh, you got to watch where you're stepping because we've been on a couple stocks and they're right there. I've heard I've, – I've never seen a rattlesnake in my life. I saw one dead one in Nebraska. Um, I, I want to, I want to, I don't want to get bit. I don't want to get bit, but I do want an authentic rattle skin hat band for my cowboy hat with the rattle. We, I haven't figured out how to, how to do it yet, but I want, (laughs) we had one guy out in Montana. We, we met on a middle of nowhere dirt road and he had killed one on the road and skun it. And so it was literally just like the flesh. And he killed the sucker, he said, like an hour ago. And he, you could literally, it was, didn't have its head and was literally scunned for that. And literally an hour after the sucker had died, you could poke it with a stick and it would still coil up. Yeah. And like, I, I and it's just like, that's stuff that that freaks me out. Freaks me out. Like, that's also freaks me out. But it's like, how can something that's been dead for an hour, you poke with a stick and just still coils up without a head? I mean, it's just, uh, they give me the uh, well that's why so many people cut the heads off because it's yeah. like their yeah. muscle memory yeah. like they still have firing um like a central nervous system firing that like so they can bite even though they've been dead so everyone cuts their head off i would yeah. probably try to i'd probably try to like skewer it with a broadhead and it'll only work if you buy your truck i'm not carrying around yeah. a rattlesnake <laughs> with me. and and put it in like a bucket with a lid and i would just bring it to the taxidermist and be like there's a rattlesnake yeah. in this bucket. I want the hide. I don't care yeah. how you do it. Yeah. Send me a bill. Um, yeah. But with the cactuses, like we've done a lot of Wyoming rifle antelope hunting in the family because my brother was bringing his kids out because it's such a great hunt for kids. It's fun. You don't have to wake up early. You're not you're not cresting mountains. The weather's great. You know, so many reasons why it's a great first western hunt. I tell everyone like if you want to try hunting the west, go antelope. And so we're doing this every year for five, six years in a row with my brother's kids, like my niece and nephews. And my dad starts going with, and man, he sat on a cactus one time and he, like a month later, he was still pulling like barbs out of himself. And Oh yeah. I was like just profusely bleeding. I mean, it was right. It was so close to my, right between the cheeks. And it was, it was, I literally saw something out in the distance and I, you always got to look where you sit. Cause I literally just plopped down and it (laughs) God, it was terrible so it's uh yeah it's you that's one thing that you don't have to worry about really i mean there's i guess we have thistles but that's not anything in comparison no um, around when you're growing up in minnesota so it's uh it's a whole different ball game um out there in terms of you always got to watch where you sit for cactus and uh the possibility of snakes because they're out yeah they're they're out there so well i brought a buddy from north dakota out to that southeast montana area for a mule deer hunt and we thought we were gonna like yeah it'll be a tough hunt but there's mule deer everywhere that's what everyone says we'll just try to find like a decent four by four made it 120 134 by four 
ter- terrible idea. The dr- like a three year drought, record low mule deer populations, record high hunters. We struggled to find a good. What buck. year is that? Two two thousand twenty. Okay. I think no twenty one. Yeah, twenty one. It wasn't last year's year before. Yep, and that I would say because that's the same exact thing that that we were we're supposed to go on a mule deer hunt. Um, we were buying points for it in the same southeast Montana, but we were told same. It's like a lot of the mule deer in that area they kind of like migrated out and they still haven't really came back in that southeast uh, because yeah, that drought was so dang bad. Um, yeah, it was terrible. And so, yeah. an hour into our first day, first morning, hour in, my buddy's got a three by four. And it's like 120, 125 inch three by four. And he's got this beautiful 154 by four in his mind, right? Never been out West before. Never. He's just Googled and YouTube stuff. And I'm like, dude, do not pass something on the first day that you would shoot on the last. Cause this is not the unit for that game. Yeah. Like you get a once in a lifetime elk tag sure, pass it, whatever you want until you find the one that makes you happy. He passes it. He's like, ah, it just wasn't quite right. We never saw a mule deer again that big. And so by day four, day three, he's ready to shoot any legal buck. I've already shot two little mule deer at this point in my life. So I'm like, all right, I don't need to shoot another little mule deer. And so we're driving around just trying to find new spots. And we see a fork, a good forky, um, off the road. He kind of, he's, he's working, you know, some, this little draw and there's a hill and it's all public. So I'm like, he's like, dude, there's a buck. I'm like, you want to go after it? Like, he's like, yeah, I do. I'm like, all right, great. Like, go after it. I'll drop you off here crest you'll go around the backside of this hill you should cut him off but like you said the drought it was like a putting green everything like there's no grass at all and i'm like by the way though since you you know he i knew he's like newer to western hunting i'm like you do not want to skyline yourself like do not walk right over the top of this he that won't work you sh-. and he's like what do you well, what should i do because there's nothing to hide behind he's like well I, okay, I understand, but what do you want me to do? And I'm like, if it were me and I really wanted to shoot this deer, I'd crawl. I'd crawl up and over that hill. And so sure enough, he, you know, he's walking, then he's crouching, and then he's getting low, you know, as he's getting closer to the crest, he's getting lower and lower, and he's crawling. And I'm just watching. You know, it's kind of cold. I got my hands behind my bino bivy. I feel like a guide because yeah. I have no interest in this deer. Yeah. Even if he messes it up, I'm not going to shoot the deer. <laughs> and so he – Whatever happens, no shot goes off. He stands up. I'm like, all right, well, it didn't work. So I walk up to him. He's like, great fucking idea, man. Crawl. He crawled through like 30 yards of cactuses. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I didn't think I had to tell you to look out for a cactus when you're crawling around out here. But, yeah, look out for cactuses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the drought, that's about the only thing that grows. So He had to throw his gloves away. He he switched pants like right then and in the truck and put on a different pair of pants everything was covered with cactus needles uh, because he wanted this buck he didn't want to stand up so he's like god you know like just like you just grunting it out like taking it yeah. his mittens were filled with gloves he just he swapped those out he never wore them again for the rest of the trip it was hilarious um and i'm like dude i'm sorry i didn't tell you about the cactuses i really did assume it was like a no-brainer like i don't crawl around places out here because i'm afraid of the rattlesnakes yeah. When you're looking for rattlesnakes, you just happen to notice the cactus. Yeah, I uh, I always say I want to just buy knee pads every single year before we go out there, but then I end up coming and going and not buying knee pads. But I should because yeah, there's nothing worse than getting them in your palms or your knees just yeah crawling around. Even when you know they're there and you're trying to avoid them, but you're still gonna get some. But I would say knee pads aren't a terrible idea either. Well, we've been wearing the. We we are big fans of Sitka in our family, 
And so we've been, we just keep the knee pads in them. Yeah. Yeah. Hunt, I say it's, you hunt it's like two hours and you don't even notice those and they don't wrap around your leg like a, it's only in the front where you need them. Yeah. But you also like, they stay in position always because they're sewn in. You can pull them out if you want. It's not easy. You have to flip your pants inside out, but like they're always going to be in the right spot and they're not like tied around your legs, like a flooring knee pad where like mm-hmm. soon they get loose and they're falling down and you're constantly yep. adjusting them and they make noise. Like they are so seamlessly integrated to the pant that you'll, we'll hunt for like two hours. And you never notice them again. So yeah, yeah. I'd recommend that then because there's time. I always say I want it, want to get some, but don't because yeah, that's the other thing is getting them in the freaking kneecaps and hard to get out spots too. So, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's even when you know they're there that you're still going to, you're still going to get some in the hands and knees. So yeah, I'd say that that'd be a great investment to get. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So South Dakota sounds like it used to be a pretty good state for non-residents now getting a little trickier, probably just have to be on the ball. Um, these first couple of years, you probably still draw with zero points cause no one's got points. Yep. But then it's going to start to dwindle back. So what would be like your, what would be like your state? What would be your lineup? If someone's like, Hey, I think, I think I'm going to do like Logan and his dad, and I'm going to be an antelope hunter. I want to go like every year. What are like the three states you would focus on for a non-resident? I would say Wyoming, number one. Um, just, I think that's in terms of draw statistics best. Um, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, heck, there's more antelope than people in Wyoming. Um, so that's a pretty good start. <laughs> I don't know about um, after this latest Wyoming, blizzard. That might have I mean, knocked yeah. those numbers down a little bit. In terms of, uh, I mean, they've not that it's all for size because we love animal tastes pretty dang good too, but um, definitely by far the most Boone and Crockett entries and Pope and Young entries I, is Wyoming. Um, I would say Wyoming, even though I've never hunted there, um, driven by it down through it a lot, ton of, ton of ones right there. Um, I'd say my most well-known one is Montana, but I mean, even that one's starting to get harder to draw. Um, I said we've applied for two years and still haven't gotten that one. Um, I'd say those two states. Hoofta. Third one, I mean, just because I have hunted South Dakota, I know, but granted, also, I wouldn't say South Dakota has the numbers that, like, Wyoming, Colorado, um, Montana has, just on those flats. I mean, you hear a lot more about that. Um, we only really have it in our western – whole western side of south dakota has antelope but you really got to hit the western half the western half um and so i'd say pretty much any state around that touches uh montana i'd say really am I, any any state that touches wyoming would uh would be a pretty good uh pretty good spot um i i want to say wyoming probably is your best chance just because of draw statistics um i know New Mexico, Arizona, they have less antelope, but they also have, I think, way more big ones on a per animal basis just because they don't get the harsh, harsh winters. Mm-hmm. And so, granted, it's, I don't think the, been reading some stuff um, about it and that they do get bigger ones. And you see the, usually the biggest one every year is shot down in one of those two states just because they live longer. There's less of them. You're not going to see. I'd say if you just want, if you're going spotting and stocking, and you just want to see a lot of antelope, I'd say go to go to uh, Wyoming or Montana just because they have the highest density numbers, um, I would think. Um, but if you're trying to go after an absolute giant, I'd say the farther south you go, 
um, the better chance of that you have. But I'd say for a do-it-yourselfer, first time, I want to go antelope hunting. I'd say uh, Wyoming's your best bet to best bet to get a tag, the easiest, and just seeing sheer numbers. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna see you're gonna see a lot of goats out in Montana, Wyoming area. Yeah, yeah, that's what we've seen driving through those states for other hunts. It's like you we've tried to see how long we can go in Wyoming. Like how many miles can we drive with eyes on an antelope? Yeah. Like, oh, there's one. All right, got another one. You know, like just leapfrogging and you can make it damn near across the entire state. Yeah. And I said once you've I mean, once you've seen a decent amount of goats, I mean, they they just stick out like a sore thumb. Sometimes you're hiding in play site, you're like, how the heck do you not see? But I mean that white butt and whatnot is just so it's once you've once you ran your eyes across enough antelope, I mean, they, they just stick out like sore thumbs most of the time. So that's yeah. the thing. It's it's way different than deer hunting in the sense that if you're out west deer hunting, like mule deer hunting, the hardest thing I'd say sometimes on spot and stock is actually finding one if they're bedding some thick stuff and they're tough, you know. The hard part about antelope, archery antelope hunting is not not the spotting part. That's gonna be easy. It's the <laughs> yeah. uh it's the actual stock part is gonna be more challenging. It's more of a stock and stock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Spotting is going to be easy. It's just going to be the, the, the stock that's going to be hard. So one and thing I've another... noticed with the antelope, um, and I'm by no means an antelope expert, but I have noticed when I'm out West doing other activities, other extracurriculars, the nastier the weather is, the more I find antelope bedded up on like the top third of a hill. And I'm like looking at those things like, man, that would be an easy stock right now. But I'm out tracing elk or mule deer. But it seems like when you get, like, a cold, nasty, windy, rainy day, those antelope, like, they're so weird because, like you said, they don't bed down. They, they're just out grazing all day long. It's like the savannah. Um, you know, elk, mule deer, whitetails, everything else. It's like evenings evenings and, and mornings except for the rut. But the antelope are just out all the time. But, like, it's almost the opposite. Like, when you get that cold weather that makes you excited to go whitetail hunting in the rut that's the weather that just shuts those antelope down and maybe it's just a theory of mine someone will have to test it out but i feel like spotting and stocking with a bow might be a lot more successful on like the nastiest weather you can find because those antelope will probably just bed up out of the wind somewhere i would say the two windiest days we've had in montana when we've spotted and stocked you're exactly right we've had I've killed two that were bedding. Because like I said, usually even if they're even if you see one bedding, by the time that you loop around, because even yeah. if you're a mile away and they see you walk somewhere, they're gonna get up. So if you by the time you loop around, they're not gonna be bedded anymore. Except in those super windy days, my two best stocks, two of my best stocks ever were on absolute like 40 mile an hour wind days. Except the only bad part about it when it's they're bedded halfway down in a bowl or whatnot, and you're on the top of the bowl in the 40 mile an hour wind. I mean, it's you're like trying 80. to hold your, yeah. you're trying to hold your bow steady. You're like, holy cow! But you're exactly right. Literally, I, I, my, I'm picturing two stocks in my head that we were able to get on antelope that actually stayed bedded for long enough for us to get around. Or it's like just a, the actual shooting part was the hardest because yeah, you're getting your bow's getting blown around so much at the top of the hill. Or like a cold, dreary, rainy day that just like 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 when it drops like 30 degrees below normal. And those, I, I feel like from what I've seen, those antelope just really like they yard up, bed up, and then they they'll stay put long enough for you to get a stock in. And then you just no, got to play the cards right. Like you just got to be quiet. You got to be stealthy. You got to pick yeah. a right the right path. But it should be, you should get into the zone. Yes, 
I'd say one kind of a random tidbit here too is that since antelope can run like 65 miles an hour, they got some of the densest bones. Um, I think in, again, don't quote me, but I think it's the densest bones in a North American land mammal. Um, so with that, in terms of when you're shooting with archery, you do not want to shoot in their front shoulder. You'd rather gut shoot an antelope and you'd rather shoot back than front because we've had, we've heard countless stories that, I mean, even at 20, 30 yards, somebody shoots an antelope in the front shoulder and it doesn't even penetrate half the broadhead. I mean, and they just run off and nothing like nothing hurt, hit them. So I would say that's the one thing about antelope too, is that I would always want to aim or hit back than forward because it's just their shoulder their front shoulders can, can take a lot when you're archery hunting them. So rifle is a whole nother story, but I mean, they're, we've heard some horror stories about you hitting them in the front shoulder and it's just not going through. Do you find a big tidbit for like anyone coming from like Midwest shooting whitetails and dropping, like that's a huge issue with like does and stuff. Do you find that a lot of the antelope you guys shoot at duck an arrow or drop, or do they pretty much hold steady? I would say, um, if you're water holding them, they kind of know that that's kind of one of their most vulnerable spots. So they're jittery when they're coming into water. And so usually when we're water hole hunting them, you really want to make sure they're coming in. And uh, usually right when they're getting a drink of water, they get one of their legs out front a little bit more like into the water. And when they drop their head and when they put their head down, that's kind of when you want to shoot and when they're going to be most. But I'd say I have had some duck the arrow, still hit, but jump the string when they're in the water hole. Usually on spot and stocks, um, it's different and just the sound of it isn't going to make them jump but i i'd say they're a lot more jittery if they're uh um if you're water hole hunting them than if they are at um spot stock another thing i should mention is that if you are water hole hunting them for instance i mean i don't really think you could go put up a ground blind and hunt a whitetail that same day with a ground blind that just popped up out of nowhere yeah um archery you know because they they know. realize that and yeah. are going to be leery um antelope aren't that way they trust their eyes so much that even if you pop up a blind if you say you're driving out west you only have first day is only a half day you think you see a good water hole and you want to don't be afraid to even hunt just a half day or pop that up and just sit right away because antelope will come in right away even if you set up a blind because they trust their eyes so much um it's kind of different than when you're whitetail hunting or something else because i I've never seen a whitetail. You pop a blind up and they're walking within 30 yards an hour later, but an antelope will, um, they're kind of weird like that, that they, you'd be able to do that too. But I'd say, yeah, jumping strings a little bit, um, in water hole, just because they kind of know that's when they're, their most vulnerable, vulnerable. Um, and another thing is I just say it's, it, it's kind of got a perfect aim spot right where that, uh, right where they're, uh, they got gray in their front shoulder and on their back. And then white kind of on their belly, but it really comes, you really want to just hit aim right where the gray and white meet right at that corner of the box. I mean, that's about perfect aiming point you are. So they kind of really give you a, a aim here sign in terms of right where the yeah. brown and white meet. So, I mean, if you're wondering to know um, where to hit them, that's where to hit them. And another good thing is, I mean, them being able to run 60 miles an hour and whatnot, they they have huge lungs. I mean, on a on an animal size, I mean, when you're gutting them. They're long, might not be bigger than a whitetail, but you also got to 
remember they're a lot smaller than a whitetail. So I mean, yeah. lung to body size is a he- you got a heck of a lot more chance to hit a lung on an antelope than you do a deer just for your whole lung to body size. I've say. heard if you put it, I've heard people say if you put it between the goalposts, you'll get them. If you exactly, put, if and you I put said, it between the legs, you'll get them. <laughs> just, exactly, and well, and it's and true. It's like they will die. They might yeah. run a long ways, but you're yeah. in the Sahara, so you, I mean. Maybe yeah, you can right. watch yeah. them run for 400 yards exactly. and tip over. And again, they're white, so they stick out. But I would say exactly that, that antelope are tough. But at the same time, if you hit them between the goalposts, usually you'll get one more opportunity. Even if you hit a bad shot and you uh, hit far back, hit liver, hit guts, they usually will give you one easy um, layup shot in terms of they'll run off you, gut shoot it, bed down. And usually it's a, in my experience, not that, I gut shot a lot or, but even if you liver shot, my dad's had, my dad, my dad's had thir- going 13 for 13. He's had like two or three not so great hits on them the first time. Cause they're jittery a little bit more over water, but they usually give you a really good follow-up shot that first time. But after that first follow shot, and if you don't capitalize on that, then they get adrenaline pumping and then, I mean, they could run for miles. Um, so, but yeah, I would say if you hit them between the goalposts, you're exactly right. Just make sure it's between the goalposts. If you hit that left goalpost, if it's the front shoulders, it might probably just doink off of them. So you don't want to be in that situation. Are you shooting big mechanicals? I feel like antelope's an animal that was made for a big expandable broadhead. I shoot um, Montech G3s. Um, Antelope kind of have – so I don't want to – so right when Rage first came out – they had a lot of, lot of problems um, shooting antelope because antelope's hair is so hollow that it was really messing with uh, the first or second generation of rage broadheads that it was opening up too early because they have a lot. They just have weird hair. If you okay. harvest an antelope, pull yeah. a tuft out. First of all, the hair falls out. Fall yeah. out. Like they got drag It's like they're on chemo. Yeah. Exactly. If you drag an antelope a hundred yards because that's how far you got to drag it to the car. Wherever you drag it either hind quarter or the butt will have no hair. I mean, it's falling off. It's not like a deer. Um, it's really hollow. Um, and so that was kind of messing with the expandables. But okay. I will say that was right when Rage first came out. But since then, my dad shoots expandables. Adam ha- hasn't had any problems. But I know if you somehow are a early generation, haven't got new broadheads in a long time, you might have some problems. But I shoot uh, Montec. And I forgot what my dad shoots, but he shoots expandables and hasn't had any problem. Um, but yeah, you want to, you put a good hole in them. Um, yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. They're, uh, you put it between the goalposts, it'll go down. There you go. Well, I feel like, I feel like we've given the listeners a pretty good crash course into archery antelope hunting, the things they need to know. So, uh, thanks for coming on, Logan. Like I said, yeah. It's nice to have a buddy that's that's been doing it for 13 years because I've only shot one and it was with a 300 wind mag, so not really relevant to today's conversation. Um, so, but yeah, thanks for being here. It's great to kind of hear some more about archery antelope. Hopefully, the listeners that are interested got some valuable tips and tricks and are ready to hit the western front range this coming fall and try to stick an antelope. Yeah. I'd say it's definitely worth uh, worth doing once, um, just something different. I mean, you no, usually nobody else has anything going on in middle of August. You know, I mean, get yeah. out ahead, start your season early one year, and head out west and uh, try try your luck at a speed goat. Awesome. Well, I might have to tag along with you one of these archery over the counter um, hunts that you got. 
Um, yeah. See, it'd be kind of fun welcome. to do. So awesome. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for being here, Logan. And thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>